Welcome to Peers Like Me, a podcast hosted by Western New York Independent Living. Today, our guest is Erica Miller, systems advocate at Independent Living of Niagara County. She returns to tell of lessons learned in the trenches. Our host is Maura Kelly, the voice of the individuals WNYIL serves. Welcome. Welcome to Peers Like Me. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed to increase understanding of the effects of behavioral health issues on our families, neighbors, and communities. Peers Like Me is designed to increase meaningful community inclusion of individuals with and is created by people with severely impacted by lifetime behavioral health issues. Our hope is that by sharing our knowledge and experiences with the issues, our community will gain better understanding and acceptance by others, resulting in improved quality of life for everyone. Hello, my name is Maura Kelly. Uh, welcome to Peers Like Me. I'm the West New York Independent Living Behavioral Health Peer Liaison. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, today's podcast, Lessons Learned from an Advocate in the Trenches. We are honored to have Erica Miller. Erica Miller is the Systems Advocate for the Independent Living of Niagara County. And this is part two of a podcast series with Erica Miller. Erica, welcome to Peers Like Me. Thanks for having me, Maura. Okay, so uh, tell, so you've been around independent living for half a year or so, and I've learned some unbelievable stuff about you. So can you share a little bit we're, I asked Erica to be here because she has great experience and war stories about being in the trenches of our advocacy disability movement. So can you share a little bit of history of your systems advocacy, Erica, with us? Uh, sure, absolutely. So um, I've been working in the disability field since 2015. Um, in 2015, I joined as a systems advocate for my very first center of independent living. Um, and I was blown away by the community. I, I had... Can I just ask you... Okay, I'm sorry, but why did you join that? What what made you join that? Like, what? why would someone do that? So, I was... I was in my mid-twenties. I um, didn't have a lot of experience with the community or, um, you know, just honestly experience as a young person behind, under my belt. And I was feeling very unsatisfied with my life. Okay. Uh, I was living in Florida and I didn't know what direction I wanted to take. I just knew that I was always a helper and it made me, it brought me a lot of joy. And I didn't know at the time that there was jobs out there for helpers. Mm-hmm. So I got involved with, um, and this is a little silly, the Miss Wheelchair Florida pageant. Oh, okay. Um, and I was intrigued by this pageant because it's not typical in that it's not about who wears the dress the prettiest. It's more about uh, what is your idea for advocacy? How do you want to change your community? 
and um, what are you going to do to make things better for disabled people? Well, I was very attracted to that idea because I did want to help. I did want to make things easier because I, um, I had been through multiple situations where um, I've seen different parts of the system in, in, in general for people with disabilities fail. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be a part of the solution. Um, you know, I, I've had multiple situations with homelessness. I've had situations where um, I didn't know where I was going to get my food next. Mm-hmm. I've been on government benefits of all sorts. Um, and I have seen things not not go right or not go the way it's supposed to go. And I wanted to help. So the person that I was competing against in the Miss Wheelchair Florida um, pageant was actually my future boss. Oh. She, um, she had hunted me and got me to move to New York, which I am originally from, and um, got me to move to Rochester. So I started out as systems advocate, and on my second day of work, I went to a protest. And uh, in, well, in the capital of Albany. What were you protesting? Um, I want to say that one was related to health care. Mm-hmm. Um, the government was trying to change something in health care. I don't exa- remember exactly what the bill was, but um, when I got to the capital, it was this huge uh, protest involving a bunch of different centers throughout the state. And I was surrounded by people who looked like me. I was so overwhelmed and emotional and touched. I burst into tears. Wow. Um, Because I had grown up being the only person in a wheelchair, the only person who used crutches Mm -hmm. in, in a school system. And so I didn't know anybody else at the time who had a disability. I was kept away from the kids in the special ed classes because um, in my family's eyes, and, and as much as I loved them, they thought I was different. Mm-hmm. And so when I went in that protest and I saw all these people fighting for the community, I burst into tears. And all that inner ableism and crud that was in me came out. Wow, I can relate to that, yeah. I found my disability pride. Um, And I have been fighting and addicted to fighting for disability rights ever since. So what has that led you to have a long record of? (laughs) So, well, you know, when you protest, don't tend to like it right um what happens is sometimes if you don't leave when they ask you to leave you get arrested um i have been arrested over 30 times wow um i went to a jail once um and stayed overnight and um i have been arrested in multiple states in this country at this point um, all for civil disobedience, mm-hmm. um, and 
meaning all of her disability rights. And, um, you know, most of them are just getting tickets that you have to pay later. But um, there was one instance where I was arrested in Ohio um, and I had to spend the night in jail. So what was... Um, so what was worth it to choose to do that? What what was at stake? Why would you, why would someone be arrested thirty times and be okay with it and be talking about it on a podcast? You know, I've I've thought about this over the years. Why I continue to do this and why I continue to find it worth it, and I think the. I think what the answer is, is you have to have something to believe in. Doesn't matter what it is, right. your job. Right. you have to have something to believe in. And for me, I believe that my community deserves the right to live in the community. Mm-hmm. And that's not happening now. It's, it hasn't happened. It's, it's not... It's a thing for a few, a few chosen. If you have the privilege, then you get to stay in the community. Right. But there are so many of our siblings who are trapped. They have no way to get out of the facility um, or even a group home or assisted living or whatever you want to call it. They have no way out. And do I think that there are supports out there for them to be able to to live in the community and live the lives that they choose and not what someone else is choosing for them? Absolutely. But we have to have those conversations. We have to have the understanding that you get to choose to wake up in the morning and get out of bed and go to work or, you know, go to school, do whatever it is that you want to do in your day. And nobody is influencing that. You're choosing to do it yourself. But there are other people who don't have that privilege of choice. So, so you're, you're getting arrested and advocating for, like, health care, housing, which are all under the United Nations human rights, like for shelter, food. Those are human rights. And, and people, our brothers and sisters you included, me at one point, are not getting them in America, right? So Absolutely. In, um, in this country, we are not seen as regular citizens. Right. We can be put into institutions if we're found to be um, of an institutional level of care. Um, and I know the Office of Mental Health just expanded their beds for institutionalization exponentially, but didn't expand community yeah. supports, you know, so, yeah. And you have to be very, very careful. Like I said, I am multiply disabled. Right, right. So not only can my physical disabilities get me into trouble if I all of a sudden I can't take care of myself, Right. But my mental health disabilities can also get me into trouble, right. and I'm sure um, I'm, I'm sure that's something that 
um, your work can speak on as well. Right, and, and I know for people with disabilities, our freedom is always at stake. Our, our well-being, our health care is always questionable. Our functioning is judged. Whereas someone without a disability, that's just like, oh, they're bizarre, whatever. They're, you know, you know, whatever. And they're just chalked up where we, oh, they should, you know, go back to the hospitals, go back to the institutions, the nursing homes, or, you know. And, that, and the government's listening to that by opening more beds and, and expanding the institutional care and, you know. So, sort of a sad state of affairs. Yeah, and even with the benefits and supports that we have in the community, they're not perfect. Right. They're still flawed. So, for instance... So, flawed, flawed for us means life or death and freedom. Even if we yeah. didn't break a law, like a, like a law that, yeah, so... Um, and, and a good example that I like to give people is that for the consumer-directed program for attendant services, yeah. you know that um, attendants are not allowed to help you with um, caring for your child, not allowed to help you with caring for your pets, um, and not allowed to give you <clears throat> medications. Right. So if you don't have a way to do all of those things, you're now in trouble for animal abuse. You're now in trouble for child abuse. Right, your, your child custody, your parental rights could be exactly. eliminated, yeah. Exactly. So. And if you can't give yourself medication and there's no one else to give you the medication, that means that your health and your life is impacted. And you're deemed unsafe to be in the community because yeah. you're not taking your medicine. So hence, there you go. And yeah. we, we all know how hard it is to get out of institutions. Well, not I don't know if we all know, but I know. So, so yeah. it's, it's, it's very difficult to um, get out of an institution, but it is even more difficult to find resources that you need in the community when you're at that point of being told you need to go into a facility which is where independent living centers and other resources come in. So I bet you it's harder to get in a restaurant with stairs than an institution. <laughs> it's just, you know, so like literally, yeah. if, if you can't, it's probably like to get in a restaurant with stairs is going through all this government loopholes to get it accessible versus all the laws and stipulations already existent to make you qualify for, you know, unchosen institutionalization. Wow, that's, that's quite a revelation. So, so we're coming upon the New York State legislative season, mm -hmm. uh, which is starting in January, starting now, and will be till like June. What are our disability advocate um, issues like with your history what can we do with you, your experience so as far as um, legislative days we do have a legislative day coming up in February February 12th All right. um, and the best thing that you can do is honestly make a meeting with your legislator for that day um, Niall has on their website a list of priorities and, and, really and what does Niall stand for 
Nerf Association at Independent Living. All right. Um, it's ILLNY.US. Okay. Website. Um, they have priorities that they were using in October. I'm sure they're going to have updated priorities for, you know, 2024. Um, and they've got other ones that you can look back and the big issues that they typically talk about are Medicaid redesign, um, health so healthcare, health, yep. It, and the it, priorities are made by people with disabilities, right? These, the priorities of the New York Independent Living are created by people with disabilities, right? So they're based on what the community wants, yes. Right. Um, what what the independent living centers are reporting their communities because every community in New York is different right we all have different ones needs but um, across the board we can all typically agree on housing and transportation and voting rights and things like that because those all impact us no matter where we live from you know Jamestown to Utica so Erica I so I, I just had a question like, is there anyone against housing? Like, I don't understand. Like, isn't people with disabilities having housing, isn't that a no-brainer? Like, why, why, what's the issue here? Like, of course people with disabilities need housing. I, I don't, do you know, can you t- share with us why that's a, an issue, why that's a barrier? So I don't, I, I don't think that you're going to find a legislator that said, says that these disabled people shouldn't have a house right. or should have a place to live. The problem is that the places that we're being suggested to live are some of the worst, um, the most damaged housing, and a lot of them have bed bugs. Substandard. Rises, yeah, the high rises, and, um, or it's subsidized and there's nowhere for anyone who is disabled and not eligible for a subsidy to live. And they don't take that into account. They think that we are all um, in these dire situations where we have no money and nothing to contribute to society. But you're a full-time paid employee. You're you're full-time. I am. I I am. And you have a significant disability, or, or many significant disabilities. That's, yeah, and that's the community in general, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this assumption that we don't work and we don't want to work. Right, and you're not a special person, right? You're not a special child. You, you, you're at a, a, a substantial, uh, bona fide, real job, real employment, right? You're not a special person, you know? Precisely. Right, so... Uh, 
So I think that when you talk to legislators, you have to go in with the assumption that they know nothing about our community. Right. And then you have to educate them. Right. So how would someone educate them? How, how, how would you go about that? For me, in my experience, it's been successful to just break it down really small for them. Mm -hmm. Equate it to their lives. Because if it can make sense to their lives, then it kind of, um, you see the wheels turning in their brain. Right. So, so I, I, we're coming to a close, but I just want to ask this question. I know I ask this to, to myself often. At what lengths are you willing to go to uh, increase our equality and access in the community. What, what, what are you willing to do to, do, to help us do that? If we're talking extremes, um, I, have already, I had already decided a long time ago, almost a decade ago, that I would give my life and my, mm -hmm. my freedom right. for the community. Okay. But if we're talking um, about work and things like that, um, I would be willing to um, go anywhere I needed to go to a rally or a protest or gathering, whatever you wanted to call it, um, to further the needs of my siblings, to further the needs of myself and my husband. So just like any other movement, any other rights uh, uh, fight, you are willing to give your life, life or death, for equality in our country. Absolutely. Because if you, if you are going to believe in something, you have to be willing to give something up for it. Wow. So, Erica, if, if people wanted to reach out to you, how's, how's it best to get a hold of you or, or to uh, shout out to you? Um, I, you can reach me at emiller, it's E-M-I-L-L-E-R, at winnell, it's W-N-Y-I-L dot O-R-G. Okay. Erica, thank you so much. I hope people call you, and I will... Uh, be excited to travel with you on our advocacy journeys. Uh, thank you. Please come back at another time to um, share with us what you're up to. Uh, we've been listening to Peers Like Me, a regularly scheduled podcast, and we've had the special presence of Erica Miller as our guest with lessons learned from an advocate in the trenches. Thank you. Thank you very much, Erica. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Erica Miller, Systems Advocate at Independent Living of Niagara County, speaking about lessons learned in the trenches. Our host has been Maura Kelly.